Well, you sent me packing down Green River Valley. I knew that if you couldn't, then no one Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse, armed only with food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. Um, when I ask my guests that question and, and picture the remote Colorado cabin, I always think of little Ward, Colorado, up by Peak to Peak Highway. And that's exactly where I spent this last weekend at my buddy's little cabin. Um, I won't say exactly where it is, but um, it doesn't have water or electricity, let alone food. And um, it was great sitting by the fire, you know, after um, riding my bike all day in the mountains. And um, I didn't really take five albums and I didn't have a crank powered Victrola, but, um, I did listen to, uh, Midlake and Duke Ellington and Air and Pearl Jam and Murder by Death. I think those are, those are the artists that I listened to. And the fact that there wasn't, um, a zombie apocalypse, you know, was nice. Anyway, um, this week, our guest on Mile High Stash is the legendary Colorado DJ Kiefer from uh, KBCO Radio. Kiefer is quite a character and quite a professional as well. So that's a nice mix. But uh, Kiefer is a beloved part of Colorado music history, including both Boulder and Denver and really everywhere around here. And he really loves the Rolling Stones. Um, there's a picture of, of a very young Kiefer with Keith Richards that I saw recently and it just blew my mind. They both look really cool. And um, we'll talk about how Kiefer got his name. That has to do with the Stones as well. Um, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kiefer. And I, and I also hope you review Mile High Stash on Apple Podcasts sometime because it really does help along with literally any amount of financial support via the donation button at milehighstash.com or just at adamice9 on Venmo. I'll see you right back here after my chat with Kiefer. So Kiefer, um, how did you get this name Kiefer? That's my first question to you, because I know that uh, that's not your real name. No, no, no. My my real name is Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when I got my first job at a rock and roll station, mm-hmm. uh, there was already a Dave doing mornings. And back then they thought, well, people won't be able to tell the difference. Yeah. It was a stupid premise, but uh, I had been in, I was hanging out at the station. They said, come hang out at the station, pick up the vibe and we'll put you on the air the next day. Hmm. And so I get there and they say, Hey, guess what? We're going to put you on this afternoon. And by the way, um, you've got to change your name. And I've got like 30 minutes to do this. So I've always been a huge Keith Richards fan mm-hmm. uh, for all the reasons. And uh, his nickname is Keith, K-E-E-F. Mm-hmm. And I've got a Stones bootleg. And it's got a picture of him with his his uh, you know guitar leaning against an amp. And it says, have you seen Keith standing in the shadows? And right there, I said, all right, I'm going to add an ER to it and I'm going to be Kiefer. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that's where that, that's where that story came from. Thank you. But let's, let's go way back. I want to know where you're from and and what your first memories of listening to music passionately are. I, um, I grew up, I was born in a a small Southeastern town, uh, Southeastern Illinois town, um, just in the middle of nowhere and when i was younger tv wasn't quite what it is now i mean there's like maybe three channels and you really didn't know when it was going to come on the air so radio was always on in my house 
uh, my folks weren't real music people, but in a small community, your hometown radio station, it's like that electronic fence everybody talks over mm. uh, and, and communicates and gossips. And uh, you could get the prices on pork bellies and soybeans. Uh, you find out who got a DUI the night before, who died at the hospital, what the school lunches were. And then you might hear a Beatles song. Mm. <laughs> so uh, the radio was always on. Uh, in the house. And I was just fascinated with all the sounds and voices that came out of this little, little box of knobs and wires. So my dad worked in the oil fields. They were going to transfer him to Oklahoma. And in, you know, the early sixties, Oklahoma was, oh, you didn't want to move there. So my dad decided I'm going to move to South Florida and I'm going to start building houses. So we, we moved to Boca Raton. Now, Boca Raton back then was nothing like it is now. It was a sleepy little coastal town, little beach town. And we didn't really even live in town. We lived out in the sticks. And in South Florida, when you live in the sticks, you're usually on the edge of a swamp. And we were. Uh, we lived in a little subdivision called Paradise Palms. And I can assure you, it was not paradise. Mm -hmm. uh, when we first drove to the house, we got to the edge of town and that's where the pavement ended. And it was a two track dirt road that led out to this little subdivision. And I remember the very first time we pulled off that road and onto the little two track trail, a huge black puma ran across the road. And I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> so, um, you know, we lived in this little subdivision and I mean, it was cool, but I mean, you had to watch your step. The lake was full of alligators. There were snakes mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, but I had a bicycle. I had a stingray and my mother had given me a little cheap Motorola transistor radio. So I would ride all over this neighborhood and I think I had duct taped the radio to my handlebars and I just listened to the radio all the time. And, you know, in the late sixties and it was top 40, top 40 radio was amazing. It was an explosion of sounds you know, you had the British invasion going on. I mean, Beatles, Stones, Cream, The Who, soul music of every stripe from Motown to, to Stax. You would hear some cool country and yeah, there was some bubblegum music and, and novelty songs, but I just, it just, it kept me company. Uh, yeah. Because a lot of the kids that lived in that neighborhood in the summer, they were all they were all carnies. The, their parents mm. worked for the carnivals and they would all take off in the summer. So I was pretty much left by myself. So my radio became my uh, companion. And, and, and in those days, the, the, the jocks, the radio personalities were almost on the same level as the music, the boss jocks. I mean, they were yeah. they were just uh, large larger than life so that was uh that was my my exposure to radio and then i had an, an older cousin who uh about five or six years older than me said hey man you need to get off that uh, am and get to the fm and he introduced mm -hmm. me to my first fm underground station and uh my little brain was blown uh plus yeah. he was also funneling me records at the time uh Whenever he got tired of the albums he bought, wore the grooves off of them, he'd give them to me. So as a third grader, I had one of the coolest records, uh -huh. record collections in the world. It was Stones, Beatles, Ray Charles, The Supremes. Uh, I remember a Tiny Tim record. Um, so radio, that's radio and music kind of came together all at once. Yeah. Do you remember some DJs who made a, a deep impression on you? There was a guy, his name was Rick Shaw. Uh, it was WQAM or WAMQ. I think it was WQAM out of Miami. And he was kind of a big guy. Uh, of course, when I was living in Illinois, uh, Larry Lujak, uh, guys like that, uh, you know, made an impression on me that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can be a personality uh, alongside the music. But, yeah. you know, this this first FM station I listened to, I mean, it was almost cliche. The jocks sounded like they had eaten a bowl of Quaaludes before they came <laughs> to work. And they were like, yeah, and that was the Allman Brothers band. And <laughs> now we're going to switch it up and play some Chuck Berry. And it was just like, oh, man, it, it was so cool. Why did you go back to Illinois for college? Uh, well, in it was, uh, I want to say 1972, my folks got divorced. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I left what was, uh, you know, a pretty cool experience in Florida and moving back to my hometown in Illinois, which 
like I said, southeastern Illinois, a town about 9,000. And it was just, it was kind of culture shock. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I didn't have much <laughs> choice in the matter, but I still had music. I still, you know, listen to the radio. That was my constant companions because when I moved back, uh, you know, I still knew a lot of my friends, but we had completely different experiences. I left in the second grade right. and here we are in the eighth grade. And uh, I, I just, I, I was depressed. I was angry because I had to move back mm -hmm. and I just wasn't fitting in. It wasn't like anybody was bullying me or they weren't friendly. They were, but I just... I just, I, I was not a happy camper in those yeah, days. Yeah. yeah. There's this saying from Nelson Mandela that I love and, and it goes, there's nothing like going back to a place that stayed the same to see how you yourself have changed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I, at the time, you know, during yeah, grades or, you know, eighth grade and high school, I, you know, I just couldn't wait to leave. But as I look back, uh, growing up there probably centered me. Mm -hmm. uh, if I had grown up, if I'd stayed in South Florida or if I'd, you know, grown up in a big city, I'm pretty sure I'd be dead right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Cause I would just have given into it. But you know, that's where, when I moved back and, and this kind of relates to getting into radio, mm -hmm. I, I think I was, I was probably a sophomore, maybe going into my junior year. Mm -hmm. My my aunt from Detroit was staying with us, and uh, Vietnam was still happening. Mm -hmm. I was still uh, I was probably two years away from being eligible for the draft, but my my aunt said, "Our boys aren't going." You know, my son, which is my cousin Rob, and and me goes. They don't have to go. She had married a Canadian, and her uh, her husband's brother lived, I think, in Windsor. He goes. We'll just take them over there and they can ride it out. And I mean, back then there were some serious consequences for evading the draft. So mm -hmm. we were like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe that's, that's an option. And, and me, I was saying, yeah, just roll the dice and see what happens. Maybe the war will be over. And then uh, we came up with the brilliant idea that I was going to be a merchant Marine. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. You can kind of get your service in, work on a cargo ship you know, see exotic uh, ports of call. And mm -hmm. I could, I could write out my, uh, my time in the military that way. Um, so, you know, we kind of left that on the table and about four months after that, uh, in a rare moment of introspection, I'm uh, sitting in the living room watching a football game. And I was thinking about what am I going to do with my life? I'd already had the, the conversation with my mom and my grandmother uh, because I lived with my grandmother at the time as well. <clears throat> And I just said, look, uh, you know, if my grades don't turn around, I'll, uh, I'll just go see what happens. If I get drafted, maybe mm -hmm. I won't go to Vietnam or, or if I do, uh, you know, I'll just keep my head down. Mm -hmm. And I was watching this USC game and all these, all these football players were coming out and saying, you know, what their name was, what position they played. And back then they would talk about what their major was. And all these USC football players saying, I'm a speech communication major. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder what you can do with that. Because that was the one class in high school I actually excelled at because mm -hmm. I could be like George Carlin's class clown. I could act out. I could uh, <laughs> deprive other people of their education and, uh, mm -hmm. and get a great at it. For some reason, yeah. I just didn't have a big problem getting up in front of people and acting out. Uh, in fact, one of my one of my projects was to pretty much verbatim do George Carlin's side one, a cl class clown. Nice. Um, but my mom goes, well, I go, what, what can you do with speech communication? She goes, well, you know, some people use it to uh, become teachers. Some people use it as pre-law. Um, and, you know, you can go into radio and television. And I said, what, what, what? Radio? Really? Because I, I speak spent almost 90% of my free time listening to the radio or listening to music. Mm -hmm. And right then and there, I had, uh, I, I kind of turned myself around that, that next week at school, I thought, well, this will get me out of the draft and it'll get me into school because pretty much up until that time, uh, all I wanted to do is grow my hair, listen to music, go to as many concerts as I could smoke weed, drink beer and play football. In fact, that was pretty much all I was going to school for so I could play football. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this could be my ticket, but I've got to get my grades up. So I, I was laser focused 
on, you know, improving my grades. I, you know, I was still like a C plus B minus student, but it was enough to get me into Eastern Illinois University. Uh, they had a radio and television program. And I did my, my first radio show in 1977. And pretty much from then uh, to now, um, with a few hiccups along the way, that's pretty much how I've paid the rent. Yeah, man. Well, congratulations on sticking it out. I mean, that's, that's amazing. You knew what you wanted to do and, and you did it and you're still doing it. And that's yeah. fantastic. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I always kind of knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't know it at the time. Right. You know, I was just listening to music because, you know, I just loved music and it just, you know, touched me in, in a very personal and deep way. I just loved uh, music. And when I found out I could get a job, I get a paycheck for playing rock and roll records or just music period. It was like, well, there you go. I don't yeah. have to wear a suit. I don't have to go to an office and I can pretty much uh, live life on something uh, close to my own terms. Yeah. In 1977 is in, in my opinion, one of the greatest years in rock and roll history. You know, you know, you have the sex pistols, Elvis Costello, the clash television, Patty Smith, all this exciting stuff. It was, yeah, it was, it was great. And, I got exposed to a lot of that. Uh, I mean, living living in a small town in in rural Illinois, you don't get exposed to a lot of that unless. Mm -hmm. I mean, I read Rolling Stone, uh, Cream, Crawdaddy, and I I read about the New York Dolls and all this stuff mm -hmm. going on. But uh, you know, my record store, the local record store, didn't always have those albums, and you know, the radio certainly wasn't playing it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, 1977 was great because I got to play all of that stuff and bands like the Stones and the Who were putting out really good records at mm -hmm. that time. So it was a fun, it was a, a fun experience to cut my teeth uh, in radio. What did you think about disco? You know, because even the Stones and the Grateful Dead even dipped their toes in disco at that time. Well, you know, I the the whole the whole thing there it wasn't quite like a mods rockers thing, mm -hmm. but you know the whole I think I at one time had a bumper sticker that said disco sucks, and mm -hmm. you know you look back on it now through the prism of time, there was a, there was a lot of really good music made in the the dance world, and it certainly mm -hmm. has had an effect on the music uh, that we listen to now. The same as as you know punk and alternative and and hip hop, it all it all becomes a part of this big gumbo yeah i mean a lot of people probably hated punk rock and and yet the ramones have their stamp on pretty much every kind of music that, yeah. that came after them yeah you know? absolutely so let's go to i'm gonna ask you your um uh, five albums that uh, you would take to a remote colorado cabin and the event of a zombie apocalypse so why don't you give me two of those and then we'll go back to your story <laughs> well i uh I, I just want to say one thing uh yeah. i was listening to uh munley from yeah. uh from uh slim cessna and what he said guy. he did yeah i've only met him once what a character uh i i think i might be like him if it is a zombie apocalypse i might be too busy reloading to listen to yeah to yeah <laughs> yeah and can you imagine that me and munley back to back uh, sawed off <laughs> shotguns yeah. saving saving humanity I think um, you do a pretty good job, you and Mudley. That'd be a good yeah, Probably. Uh, mm. I, I will say, and I've noticed some people have taken a little bit of liberty with your 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 format. And mm. I was going to say, two two of the records that didn't make it, but I wanted to give an honorable mention to mm -hmm. John Coltrane, uh, Love Supreme, and Ornette Coleman, The Shape of Jazz to Come. Oh, if beautiful. there were six, uh, I would take those. I, I came to jazz, appreciated jazz later in life. Mm. Uh, I was lucky because... Uh, uh, Dave Benson, who hired me at KBCO, he's a jazz aficionado. Brett Saunders, yeah. uh, he writes the jazz column for the Post, and uh, KBCO OG uh, Richard Ray. Uh, they've all kind of helped me. I, whenever I'm at Twist and Shout or Wax Tracks, it's like, ah, oh, you know, is this a Sun Ra album I should own? You know, right. I text text Brett and say, hey, is this one worth? So uh, those get honorable mention. But I will um, give you one number five. Um, let it be by the replacements. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, uh, you know, the replacements had been on my radar for a while. I had mm -hmm. Stink and I had Hootenanny, but there was just the the early 80s, you know, rock and roll got kind of fat and lazy and mm -hmm. safe. And I mean, look, if you like Toto and Journey and Ario and Sticks, you know, 
Godspeed to you. <laughs> but th that music didn't do anything for me. And uh, the replacements came on and they were funny and they were loud and they were, they were rough around the edges. Mm -hmm. But Let It Be was the album where Paul Westerberg's writing really started to blossom. I mean, there was still some thunder uh, from the previous two records on this album, but I mean, a song like uh, I Will Dare, uh, I just love that line. How how young are you? How old am I? Let's count the rings around my eyes. <laughs> I just, that's good. And the fact that, you know, he wrote a song about trying to, you know, express your emotions to a girl, to an answering machine. Uh, that just slays me. And, you know, androgynous, you know, who was writing songs, you know, standing up for, uh, you know, tra the trans community? Well, Paul Westerberg was. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, they were the anti-80s, 80s band for sure. In a, in a way, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, 1984 was a really good year. I mean, I could have easily said Double Nickels on the Dime, uh, Minutemen or, or Zen yeah. Arcade, uh, Husker Du. But uh, the replacements, I just, uh, you know, Paul Westerberg wrote in a way that I identified with because I, I'm kind of the same age as him, maybe a little older. But he was, he was saying the things that uh, I didn't know how to say. And he mm -hmm. was putting them out there. And it's like, yeah, I feel the same way. So yeah, let it be uh, the replacements would be my number five. Um, my number four, uh, Kaya, uh, Bob Marley and the Wailers. Yeah. Uh, that album sometimes gets slagged by, by, by critics because, uh, you know, he wasn't tackling social issues. He wasn't being political or militant. I, you know, time will tell uh, a little bit uh, mm -hmm. that song, but he was, singing about love and the joys of weed mm -hmm. and well, <laughs> what's wrong with that man yeah um and it, it had the unfortunate uh uh it, it unfortunately came after exodus and that's an album that just exists on another plane mm -hmm. so anything coming after that was going to pale in comparison but what i don't know if a lot of people know is bob and the band when they were in exile in london they recorded both those albums at the same time. Oh, wow. can, you, can you imagine Exodus and Kaya as a double album? That would be one of the greatest double albums that ever. <laughs> yeah. There with London Calling and Physical Graffiti. Yeah. I, um, um, I was in a radio class and this, this dude from Africa uh, was in it and he and I got to be good buddies and he came over one afternoon with a bag of weed and Kaya. And I think that's one of the reasons I really like Kaya because that was the first Marley album I got into. Mm -hmm. And then of course I discovered everything after that, but uh, it's a great Saturday or Sunday morning album to put on when you're getting up and moving around, making a little breakfast. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so Bob Marley and the, the Whalers Kaya uh, is, uh, is my number four. These are two albums that have not been chosen yet on this show. So you're a trailblazer. All right. Trailblazer. <laughs> All yeah. right. yeah. <laughs> Glad I could help. Yeah. So let's go back to 1977 and beyond in the life of not yet Kiefer. It was Dave, <laughs> Dave back then. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I made it through uh, college and I, I thought, all right, I'm ready for the big time. And I moved to St. Louis and send out demo tapes to all the radio stations and got rejected one after the other. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't know about this thing about paying your dues. Right. So I, uh, I had spent my last $80 on uh, four, four tickets to the Rolling Stones in St. Louis and I was broke. So the guys who lived uh, upstairs from me, they were all chefs at uh, the pasta house. It was like a chain of restaurants in the Midwest. And I said, guys, I, you know, I need a job. So I went to work in the kitchen making, um, I made salads. You make the salads at the pasta house. That's, that's the really popular thing there. You make it at about 10 pounds at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, you just toss it and you throw it out on the plate. Uh, I did sandwiches and desserts. And one Friday night, we were just jammed. And I was alternating between making this 10 pounds of salads and cutting up some sandwiches. And I about sliced my thumb off. Mm. And I went to the, the head chef and I said, dude, I can almost see bone. I got to go to the, the, the emergency room. And he goes, are you kidding? We are slammed. Put a, put a bandaid on it and go back to work. And I thought, oh, okay. So mm. I did that. And so I've got my hands 
in this 10 pounds of, of salad. And my, my thumb was just throbbing and I thought, "Uh, what's going on? And I pulled my hand out and the bandaid was gone. Oh God. And I'm looking down at this salad (laughs) and I've got five waiters and waitresses demanding salads. And I thought, screw it. You know what? I hate this job. I hate my life right now. So I just started putting out and I thought, you know, if somebody bites into it, maybe they'll just think it's a bad artichoke. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought, I thought for sure I was going to get fired. Mm -hmm. A couple of days after that, I get a phone call from a girl that I had gone to school with and she was working for a radio station in Champaign-Urbana, a top 40 station. She goes, Hey, and I don't know how she found me. You know, this is before computers and iPhones and internet. Uh, but somehow she tracked me down and said, Hey, you know, we need an overnight jock at this, uh, this radio station. I said, yes, I had one last cassette of my air check. I sent it off to the guy and he goes, how soon can you start? Hmm. I said, you tell me when, and new year's day, um, 1982 at midnight, I went to work and this station, it was a top 40 station. And we were still spin at that time, spinning 45s and albums, but they had this massive rack of four reel to reel machines. It looked like, uh, the, the, the cockpit in 20 leagues under the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just this monstrosity and you, you, activated them by remote they were outside the studio but you had a little box that you just press buttons and it would play them in a certain order one reel was uh the hit songs of the day one reel was like what we call recurrent songs that have been popular over the past year one was a classic rock and one was kind of a mixed bag of soul and whatever so that was that was my first gig uh spinning records uh overnight for the did you love it you know, I, I did because I, I, you know, I didn't smell like uh, oil and vinegar and mm. salad all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it was overnights. So that's tough. Anybody who's ever worked a third shift can tell you, man, it, it'll, it'll, it'll destroy your health if, mm. if you're not careful, but I loved it. Uh, and top 40 radio at the time, not unlike it was when I started listening in the, the late sixties was still kind of cool. I mean, if the stones had a song out, you were playing it, uh, you were playing Whitney Hughes. Houston, uh, Prince, uh, the whole MTV thing, we almost became whatever MTV was playing, we would play. So mm-hmm. you might play, you know, Twisted Sister next to Whitney Houston. Now, mm-hmm. uh, in pure top 40 fashion, you know, I might be playing a Whitney Houston, the same Whitney Houston song three times in a six hour shift, but mm-hmm. um, it taught me to have a personality because you're playing a lot of this music over and over again. So you have to be able to embellish it, make it entertaining. So I don't regret, um, you know, doing that at all. It, you know, really, it really helped me uh, cut my teeth. Uh, Then after that, um, the little company that owned that station opened a rock station in Springfield, Illinois. And they said, Hey, you want to go do afternoon drive there? And I go, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to go. Did you develop your radio voice or was it just the way you talked already? I, you know, a bit of it was uh, the way I talked and then just listening when I would listen to radio stations, I would listen to the jocks when Mm -hmm. I was, when I was young and when I was coming up and uh, listening to what they were doing. And I may have tried, but I think after a while, it just kind of developed into what it is. I mean, I I sometimes have a hard time listening to myself. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's like, I don't like hearing my voice, but, uh, as far as the way I, I developed, mm-hmm. uh, I would just listen to other people and try to take what they were doing really well and trying to put my own stamp on it. Yeah. And did you have a good reaction from listeners? Like, did you get letters and things that were supportive? A, a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Uh, sometimes you'd get letters, uh, you know, phone calls, uh, when you work the overnight shift, boy, you talk to, it's like Darwin's way waiting room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, there's a lot, a lot of twisted people there and mm-hmm. yeah, you, you get, you get some, uh, you know, some really weird, I mean, even, uh, he hasn't said anything in a while, but there was a guy that used to send me at KBCO just all like, he'd go to a yard sale and send everything he, he he picked up to me. He sent me like an amazing stamp collection one time. It's like, well, what wow. am I going to do with this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was it like 
all of a sudden being a celebrity and maybe going on dates, maybe somebody would say, oh, I, I recognize your voice from the radio. Well, I was, I was, I was married and they, they kind of had a disastrous uh, effect on that. And I'm not proud of it. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I, I gave in to uh, the rock and roll lifestyle. You indulged. Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, and I'm really, I'm really sorry um, how that ended, but, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun. Um, I won't do that. I won't say that, but I, I no, to this day, I feel bad about how that yeah. happened, but yeah, yeah you know, so you, you need to meet people and you go mm -hmm. out and, you know, they want to buy you drinks or sometimes they want to tell you, you know, you know, how bad you suck and yeah. why do you play this song all the time and that kind of stuff. But, um, just the fact that they they listen and they know mm -hmm. that's that's fine with me. So you're in Springfield, and did you have this this sort of shining light of Denver of, of like wanting to go toward that light? Is that Always. true? Yeah, yeah. I uh, why Denver? Well, KBCO uh, did and still does do some amazing things as a radio station, and I wanted to be a part of that. Uh, there is a radio station in Chicago, WXRT, that I really liked as well, but nobody ever left that station. You you know, people stayed there forever. Um, yeah. yeah, nobody ever left there because everybody wanted to work there. Mm -hmm. um, Casey and St. Louis, I kind of had designs on. They were a pretty cool station at one time. Um, but but Boulder just I wanted to move west. I want to get out of the Midwest. I want to get west of the Mississippi, and uh, you know KBCO just were, was doing all these cool things and playing some cool music. So I started sending air checks to them. I think about 1985, and we'd been doing uh, we'd been doing this dance for almost 10 years before I got uh, before I got hired there. In fact, when they were just a little standalone station, I used used to have to take a drug test to work wow. there yeah and at that time i thought well you know they i had gotten to the point where they said well we like you we're we're going to you've made the cut the final cut for this uh for this uh you know job um we're going to send you the application and uh just know that you know if we have you out we're you're going to need to take a drug test and i thought at the time there's no way i was going to pass right. it so i i started going on a serious detox uh uh program um and of course, I didn't get the job, but uh, I, I stayed with him. I stayed in contact with him over the course of 10 years. And uh, finally, uh, I, I got the gig. And I'm skipping over, actually, the fact that that KBCO was in Boulder. It was over by Mike's camera. You really had about three. It had about three uh, locations in uh -huh. Boulder. The last one was above Mike's camera, mm -hmm. which was kind of interesting. But this was when uh, they were still developing film. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the chemical smells on okay. some afternoons. Oh, you just leave there with a screaming headache. Uh, they always, you know, iHeartRadio always wanted to keep us there because there was this mystique about, you know, KBCO being in Boulder. I mean, it's mm -hmm. right there in the call letters. But uh, rent just got outrageous. Yeah. And they always had studios for us in, in the tech center. Uh, and they just said, look, it's outrageous to pay this kind of rent, uh, mm -hmm. just move. And we, we tried to come up with every possible way not to, um, you know, not to move, come up with any kind of scenario and we just couldn't do it. And, uh, so reluctantly everybody moved. Now I I've always lived in Denver, uh, when I, when I moved to Colorado. So, uh, it wasn't, I, I didn't really care my commute, uh, was cut in half, but uh, yeah, there was there was uh, you know a few few tears shed, and this is 1999 that you started, uh, yeah, at KBCO, yeah. right? Yeah, I had you know I was working at this radio station in uh, Springfield, Illinois, and I mm. just got tired of you know the music, and I just was I, I felt that I was getting a little snagged stagnant in my life, and I'd met uh, I'd met my future wife Susan, and she kind of felt the same way, mm -hmm. and a buddy of mine had taken over this funky, quirky little station in Columbia, Missouri. And he goes, I need some help, man. You want to come? And I said, yeah. And uh, Susan said, well, you know, I want to go back to school. So let's make a plan. We're going to stay there for four years. I'll, I'll finish school. You get the uh, experience in AAA radio. Mm -hmm. And then we move. And almost almost four years to uh, uh, the day, 
Uh, she wound up getting a job. She has a couple of brothers that live here in Denver. So mm -hmm. we had a support system and uh, she moved out, got a gig and then said, I've got enough that we can get an apartment, come out here. So I basically told KBCO, uh, I'm coming. Yeah. I'm coming. Uh, whatever shift you have, I'll take. And I start, Adam, I started at KBCO the same way I started in radio. I was doing overnights on the weekends. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would, after I'd come home Saturday morning uh, at six, I'd catch a nap and then I'd go back and work um, Sunday evening. And then I loaded trucks at UPS during the week. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. During the twilight, you know, I'd go in at, at midnight and get off at, uh, at six. And that way I kind of kept my schedule open. If, if KBCO needed me to slip in and do, uh, you know, do a, an afternoon shift or a midday shift. So I wanted to keep my, my, you know, schedule open as much as possible. So yeah, yeah I was loading trucks, uh, uh, during the overnights and on the weekends working at KBCO. It sounds like you've been a hard worker most of your life. And I, I wonder what you would do if you ever stopped working. Would it just feel uncomfortable to you? <laughs> no, man, I'd go fishing. Go I, would, yeah. I would get in a hammock and read. I mean, I, uh, great. You know, I was talking about, you know, growing up at Olney and I, you know, my mom, you know, she was a young single woman, uh, you know, divorced with, with two kids who were on the verge of delinquency, puberty and all that other stuff. But she always instilled a really strong work ethic in us. Mm. And I, I think that's what really has helped me, uh, you know, get to where I am. I, yeah. I, I have envisioned the day that I wouldn't be behind a microphone. And I used to think, Oh, I, you know, I would just do it until they, they kick me out. But uh, you know, there's other things in my life uh, I would like to do. So I, you know, the end is coming when it is, I don't know, yeah. because I, I actually kind of feel Adam, I, I'm actually under kind of understand what I'm doing now. I think I've actually kind of gotten good at it. Right. Right. So, so I, don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to leave while I think I've got my mojo working. Yeah. Why don't you give me your next two albums? All right. Um, number three, uh, you kind of referenced this a bit. Uh, earlier a london calling the clash yeah. um you know i like the first two records but uh, london calling like with all great double albums uh, it just seemed like they had a well of inspiration writing mm. all these great songs and like a lot of great double albums it was either their influences or the stuff that they were were into came to light i mean yeah there's, there's punk but there's reggae there's ska there's lounge jazz there's rockabilly they yep. rock hard and even when they weren't sloganeering being political being revolutionary the music was almost revolutionary just because they said there's no boundaries yeah of what yeah. we're doing and they just went for it and it's such a satisfying album i listened to it again earlier this week from beginning to end it's just like what an amazing record do you have a vinyl collection yeah, oh yeah yeah i've yeah. got it's it's right here i've had it's turned over several times mm -hmm. uh, when we made the move from um, columbia to denver uh, CDs and albums, probably close to 20,000. Wow. And uh, I was broke. Uh, Susan was already out here working. I needed another like $300 to rent a trailer to haul behind the U-Haul to bring my car out. So I, I, I loaded up my uh, VW Jetta with all as many albums as I get in. I mean, it was, it was resting on the rear axles mm -hmm. and I drove into St. Louis to street side records. And I just, I, I just said, here you go. I'm going to go down here and eat a pizza and drink a beer. And uh, when I come back, just tell me what you, you can give me. And I it wound up to be about $500 worth of albums. So I was able to rent the trailer, have enough gas to get out, but uh, I've turned it over several times. Now mm -hmm. I, uh, we kind of, I'm fortunate or maybe not fortunate. My wife loves vinyl just as much. So whenever we go into a record store, it's like, Oh, if I can get out of there, uh, under, you know, triple figures in, in, uh, mm. total cost, I consider <laughs> myself, I consider myself lucky, but I, I have a nice little collection. I, I try yeah. to keep it, uh, you know, really kind of the essential stuff, but I've had to pare it down a few times. Just right. it's, 
I mean, it's easy to stream stuff, but I, I like the whole ritual of taking the album out, cleaning it, dropping the needle and listening to it the way, you know, they, they wanted it to be uh, mm -hmm. absorbed. So uh, we, we, we have a lot of, we have a lot of vinyl parties at, uh, at Casa Kiefer. Yeah, man. Um, do you have these five albums that you're choosing? Do you have them all on vinyl? Um, I, I don't, I think I may still have London calling. Um, I definitely, uh, I think let it be is on CD, uh, because, you know, I, again, you know, albums kind of come and go in my collection, depending on what my financial state is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the time. But, uh, at one time or another, they, they've all been on vinyl. I think, I think let it be is the only one that I just have on CD right now. Did you get to see the clash play live? Yes, saw them uh, at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. Um, Combat Rock had just come out, mm -hmm. and it was it was an astounding concert. You got the feeling that these guys meant it. These yeah, guys yeah. were were in it for all the right reasons, and it was such a good show. Such a good show. Um, Joe Strummer had his mohawk. Mm -hmm. um, Mick Jones looked like he could have been in the Stones. He looked yeah, like yeah. a cross between Keith and Ron and Jeff Beck. Mm -hmm. And then Paul Simonon, you know, he was there in his beret and camouflage. And I can't remember. I think it was a uh, Terry Chan. I don't know who was the drummer at the time, but uh, they were just so good. And what was interesting is uh, this Illinois band, the Elvis Brothers, opened up. And then in between in between the Elvis brothers and the clash, they had two big movie screens on either side of the ballroom and they were throwing, they were showing rollerball. Nice. <laughs> it just seemed like the perfect setup yeah, for yeah. the clash to come out in, uh, in 1982. But yeah, it was an amazing story. And here's, here's, here's something that, you know, my wife likes to throw in my face every once in a while. Mm -hmm. When we uh, first moved to Denver, it's like the first week and uh, between us, we had a hundred bucks and we were living in a cool little brownstone uh, off Lafayette and Colfax. And so we were going to go get something to eat. And as we were walking across Colfax at the Ogden, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros were playing. Mm -hmm. And Susan goes, oh, we ought to go. And I go, you know, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in a day. And, you know, Joe Strummer will come back around. And we, oh. we, 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 had a, we had an argument in the middle of Colfax Avenue. And I eventually won saying, I, I've got to eat. I want to go get something to eat and have a beer and go home. And I said, well, we'll catch him next time. And of course, there wasn't a next time, uh, you know, uh, about a year later. God damn it, Keeper. <laughs> I know, I know. I, look, I, I, I say yeah. that, you know, you know, I, that was that that's not a that's not a shining moment in my life yeah yeah i mean i made the wrong call there <laughs> we'll have to show you someday i have a really big tattoo on my shoulder that says death or glory you know because oh yeah uh, that's the only band that matters to me as yeah they, as they say yeah well and you know the the only misstep they ever, ever had was that last record cut the crap that's not a clash record no I mean, <laughs> he fired everybody and, yeah. and made that record and he regretted that the rest of his life. The fact that Every, everybody, yeah. you know, he and Paul certainly did. Yeah. They, they didn't, they didn't need to do that. And you know, the album that I have gone back and uh, you know, through the prism of time really enjoy mm -hmm. is Sandinista. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got 36 tracks and they joke that, you know, they made that for people who worked on oil rigs who had nothing to do, you know, <laughs> because it takes all day to listen to. And I don't know how many, how many genres are on Sandinista, maybe 20. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, all that dub because weren't they in New York at that time? It seemed like they yeah. were soaking up all that New York, the the hip hop, hip -hop. and the done all that. And uh, when when it first came out, I was confused. And over the years, I've gone back and reassessed it, and it, it's 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 a messy masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so album number four. Are we four? I, we did. Um, let me see. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, four would be uh, Bob Dylan, "Blood on the Tracks." Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've been through some breakups. So that's yes. a breakup. That's a breakup record. <laughs> well, you know, we, Dylan, Dylan has, has been on record saying, Oh no, no. I, I was influenced by Russian literature. It's like, eh. mm -hmm. you know, uh, Jacob Dylan has gone on record saying, I can't listen to the album because it's the sound of my parents uh, breaking up. Mm -hmm. But yes, that is an album that whenever 
you know, somebody has used my heart like an ashtray or I've been, you know, mm-hmm. messed up over a girl. Uh, that's the album I go to. And I've gone through many, I've gone through eight tracks of that. I've gone mm-hmm. through a couple of albums of that. I've gone through CDs of that just because it's, uh, in fact, I came home last night. My, my wife was listening to it. It was, it was that one record where Dylan kind of dropped the veil mm-hmm. and wore his emotions on his sleeve. And like you said, you listen to that record and you realize, Hey, somebody like Bob Dylan, he can have his heart broken and get over it. And so can I. Yeah. Yeah. And it's angry at times, oh. you know, it's, it's sweet and loving at times. And then other times it's angry and incredulous or, or almost yeah. in denial. I mean, it goes through all the stages of grief. And there's some, there's some riddles and puzzles on there, but mm. yeah, idiot win boy. That is, I mean, he's been angry elsewhere, uh, on, on record, but boy, nothing quite like that. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an album that, uh, uh, I hold near and dear to my heart. Tell me about leaving KBCO and then coming back. Well, I got, I got caught up in, uh, you know, some layoffs Mm -hmm. and, um, Andy Torrey, I don't know. Do you know Andy, the front no, house guy so. for Big Head Todd of the Monsters? He mm-hmm. was uh, he was the KBCO Studio C engineer. Mm-hmm. And we got let go that same day, so we immediately uh, went to a bar, as yeah. one will do. And uh, uh, he eventually got on with uh, you know he went back to work for Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Um, I went back to loading trucks. Um, wow, yeah, and then. Um, open air had just started mm-hmm. and uh, they needed somebody to do their promotions. And I said, I can do that. I said, I I'll do that. If you'll let me have an air shift. And mm-hmm. that eventually morphed into me doing mornings. And I was with them for, I want to say, was it uh, about three years? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, a lot of the music they played, I kind of knew, um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting to, to get into that world of, uh, you know, non-commercial radio. Yeah. 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 And then, um, after about three years there, uh, Benji McPhail, who, uh, used to work at KBCO, he was up in, uh, Greeley, uh, uh, with a radio station that was doing NPR news in the morning and in the afternoon. And then he mm-hmm. was just kind of playing kind of an interesting mix of Americana music throughout the day. And, they had their eyes on an FM signal that was going mm-hmm. to be uh, coming available and, and they wanted to uh, snatch it and do kind of a non-com rock station. A lot of, a lot of public radio clusters were starting to let go of their, their um, classical music stations, or mm-hmm. instead of adding that, we're looking to add something that was kind of a rock station to bring new people into public radio. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what they wanted to do. They only had the news station. I thought they would add, uh, you know, a non-com rock station. Yeah. And uh, so I went to work for them. We worked a year um, where they had the format of news in the morning and the afternoon and music in the middays. And then they finally got the FM signal and we launched uh, the Colorado sound. Yeah. Yeah. And I was with them for about a year mm-hmm. and that's when KBCO called me back. And at first I said, no, I just didn't know if I wanted to go back to the pressure cooker of, of commercial radio. And uh, Scott Arbo, you know, was persistent. He, I, I turned him down three times and then finally said, okay, let's talk. And, uh, um, you know, they offered me, uh, uh, a wage that I, I, my wife said, if you don't take it, I'm going to leave you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I went back and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I don't regret it. I, I love my KBCO family. Uh, I love being a part of the tribe, uh, that goes all the way back to 1977. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I just, uh, I can't imagine I've had offers to go other places, uh, when I was at KBCO, but it, there's just only one KBCO and I'd be a fool to leave. It's nice that you also got to, it's a lot like a relationship. You know, they were interested in you. When, once you started dating somebody else, they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we really want to be with you. you know, well, they, well, you got you to know, go around and, and work with all these other great people. 
Alicia Sweeney and uh, Benji and, and Marco. Yeah. I mean, these are great people. Yeah. And it, it was fun to do that. And it was fun to, I mean, Adam, I loved my uh, Uncle Tupelo Velvet Underground segues. I mean, yeah. that was that was a lot of fun. And yeah, I learned a lot from uh, Alicia and all those people mm-hmm. uh, that were there. And uh, and it was nice working with Margot and Benji and building a building a radio station out of nothing. I mean, yeah. you talk about some hard work. That right. was it. But it was very fulfilling, and uh, uh, I enjoyed it. But um, you know, KBCO was you know, the place I always wanted to be. And it was was nice. It was nice that they wanted me back. They, you know, they never wanted to let me go in the first place, but economics being the way it is, you know, I just, uh, you know, I didn't make the cut that time. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you your, your fifth and final album and let you get on with this amazing Colorado day. It is, it is so beautiful outside. I'm, I'm looking at Long's peak at my, my office window but um well i've seen the pictures on facebook yeah. you do have an amazing uh amazing view uh, i've i've already been out today i've had to trim the pot plants a little yeah, bit yeah. water some of the others so it, it is a a nice nice fall day yeah um, and i love talking music uh and i love talking radio so uh you know yeah man you're not you're not keeping me from doing anything that i don't already love it's an honor to speak with you because you are such an icon and, and such a proponent of um, not only great music, but also local music too. Oh, well, it's kind of you to say. Yeah. 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 But first I want to do a little lightning round. Sure. Uh, you know, what's it like to have the greatest birthday on earth, August 20th, which <laughs> yeah, I also I, share. Yeah, it is. It is great. And, you know, we also share it with Robert Plant. That's and right. John Hyatt. And uh, you, you sent me, there's somebody else that's really cool. That's got it. It might be Elvis. I'd have to look it up. No, Elvis, Elvis sure. is, no, there was somebody, I don't know who there's somebody else had sent me, uh, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll do it, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's yeah, a great yeah. birthday. Yeah. It's a great yeah. way to wrap up the summer. Yeah. What music has, um, stuck with you over the years? I know you're going to say the stones, you know, but music before you became a DJ that you still love just as much. I'm a, a sucker for pop music something that's got a pop hook in it yeah you know it could be the ramones or cheap trick it could be Mm -hmm. the archies or you know the calcils uh Mm -hmm. you know i just good pop music i really like uh also uh really old old blues uh, oh great world war ii era blues uh you know robert johnson blind blake uh, Charlie Patton, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I can listen to that uh, all day long. Uh, that's, you know, yeah, and anything that's kind of derivative of that, uh, I enjoy. Skip James. Is that something you're into? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know Skip James that much. I know who he is, but I, I can't say that I know a song yeah. that he's done. But I, you know, I, I guarantee uh, uh, I will, before the weekend is out, I'll dial some up. The Skip James that just him and a piano is my favorite because it's really haunting. It's really it's great shit. Um, what music surprised you that you started liking over the years that you never thought you would like? And then what music surprised you that you stopped liking? Hmm. I don't know. All right. Um, country music. Mm-hmm. I, I liked the, the Johnny Cash and uh, the Merle Haggard and the George Jones uh, more and more as uh, as I got older, I mean, I would hear it uh, on the radio, and uh, but I, I never really went out and bought it, never listened to it to really enjoy it, and, and I do now, uh, really, really do. And there's a lot of really good music now being made from not really hard, not not new country. That is an abomination, but uh, you know, people like. Um, Zach Bryan and Tyler Childers, yeah. uh, Jamie Wyatt. Uh, some of these people are making some really compelling music. This new B- Zach Bryan album, if he didn't have uh, a twang in his voice, that would be a, uh, be a folk album. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that that's music. I like, you know, um, you know, some of the guilty pleasure stuff, uh, I'll go back and listen to, um, like fog hat or blue mm. oyster cold or some of that. And it just doesn't quite have the zing that it used to. Right. It's still kind of a guilty pleasure, but, um, 
you know, if slow ride came on the radio, I'd probably just keep going. <laughs> Do you still get nervous interviewing rock stars? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. A little bit only because not that I I'm in the same room with them. It's you, I want to do a good job. Right. And I, you want to, when, when I interview somebody and, and, and Brett Saunders is really good at this too. I always try to come up with more questions than I need. Right. Because you don't know, you don't know where the, the interview is going to go and see Brett is really good at thinking quick on his feet mm-hmm. you know he he if something goes somewhere he's so smart and well-rounded he can go with it i always try to and i, I try to do that myself but i always try to have more questions that than needed and then i'll pare it down before i go in but i always have those in the back of my mind um mm-hmm. and i've also had to learn that you can't really steer somebody a certain way in an interview you might read where they said something really interesting mm-hmm. and you want them to try to repeat it and you try to walk them up to it. And it, like the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, mm-hmm. but you can always make a drink. So that is that. It's people that I'm really, really um, a fan of. It's I, I just want to do a really good job. And I have found that bands that I don't really care about, I actually wind up having really good interviews with them. Hmm. Because I'm, I'm kind of relaxed and we just start right. chit-chatting. And yeah. But um, boy, I, I tell you, I'm... I, trying to think somebody who I got really nervous. I mean, buddy guy was kind of, I, I, I was, I was anxious and it's like, you want a good, good job. want to do a good job. And it's like, wow, I'm talking to one of the last connections to the old blues yep. guys. And you, you, you don't want to waste their time. You want it to be interesting for them because if it's interesting to them, then it's going to be interesting to the people listening. Yeah. Have you had a chance to interview the stones? No, I've met them. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, a buddy of mine uh, was working for uh, Keith Richards record talk is cheap. And when they played in Chicago, I went up to see him and uh, he got me backstage and, you know, I got a few minutes to chit chat with him mm-hmm. and talk him up. Um, when they played Pepsi center, I can't remember. It might've been, they were, they might've been out with like a 40 licks uh, mm-hmm. best of, I can't remember what it was, but we got back for a little photo and, you know, just a really quick meet and greet, but you That's know, those great. guys, yeah, those guys come in, they take the picture and then they're gone. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like uh, you could do that, but I've had, I've had, you know, my, my life has exceeded my dreams in, mm. in so many ways. Like I've got to meet Pete Townsend and chat him up, mm-hmm. Lou Reed, um, you know, it's, it's every time I'm with somebody like that, I just think back to myself in high school thinking, gosh, I, I wish I could do this. And I think yeah. Yeah, here I am. You did it. Yeah, yeah, man. Okay. Your fifth and final zombie apocalypse album. Uh, Exile on Main Street, Rolling Stones. That has been my solid number one uh, for as long as I can remember. Uh you know, the, the record got mixed reactions when it first came out, mm-hmm. but uh, again, through the prism of time, it's, it's their, their shining moment. Now I get it. It might be easier to put on, let it, let it bleed or, or sticky beggars banquet. Yeah. Sticky fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is a dark, weary, murky, druggy album, mm-hmm. but it is the sum of all their, influences yeah at that time coming together it's almost like they became a southern rock and roll band yeah uh on parts of this record and the way that it is it's it's parsed out side by side you get the the rock and side one mm-hmm. you get the country side two then side three i mean there's there's blues there's the great keith richards happy mm-hmm. you get some kind of voodoo gree gree new orleans stuff mm-hmm. in there and then you get kind of the soul rock album sides four that wraps it up but the music is compelling and then you you take in the uh the the uh the myth and the story behind it all uh, you've got a band that uh, had been very successful but they wake up one morning and realize they're broke they're mm-hmm. out of money they can't pay their taxes so in the middle of the night they fleed they flee England and they move to the South of France and think, okay, we'll set up shop here and we'll cut an album. We'll go on the road and make some money. 
when they get to the south of france they realize there's no studios anywhere proper studios to record an album mm -hmm. and as keith Richards said you know i've got this mansion and everybody's looking around saying hey it's got a basement uh, we can we can do this and so they bring the the rolling stones mobile unit over and if you've ever seen a picture of it it's like uh, an army truck mm -hmm. and in the back of it they've got uh, you know a mixing board reel to reels and, and monitors and so they you know they're running wires in in uh, in windows and doors down to the the basement they're stealing electricity from the telephone poles <laughs> and they're down in a studio that's damp that's that's humid uh, instruments are going out of tune they're losing power and then of course all the hangers on you got graham parsons and everybody mm -hmm. else hanging out doing loads of drugs you've got bikers groupies gangsters uh it, just the whole mythology of the record yeah. it kind of kind of you know is just part of the the experience when you when you dive into let it or exile on main street that's a great choice and one of the greatest rock and roll albums if there if there ever was a rock and roll album yeah know. yeah i don't understand why loving cup is not a song that you hear on the radio all the time because it's one of their greatest songs. Well, I think, I think so. It's, it's, they're the, the country music. I mean, they'd done a little country before and after, but it almost seemed like they were, it was uh, a parody or tongue in cheek mm -hmm. here. It was like lived in. Yeah. It's like, like yeah. I said, it's, it's, they had become a country band on that side, but mm -hmm. a Rolling Stones country band They, you know, torn and frayed loving yeah. cup, uh, sweet Virginia. Uh, all those songs are great. I can remember hearing sweet Virginia on the, on the radio when mm. you didn't have to bleep out, got to scrape the shit right off your yeah, shoes. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to call you during one of your, you know, afternoon shifts and, and request loving cup. That's got to happen. That, that, or, uh, we have got a, uh, a nice edit of uh, sweet Virginia where he oh, says great. you got to scrape it off your shoes. <laughs> they, they, they've reduced shit to it. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I hardly a month goes by that I don't listen to a, a side of exile. Have you heard the fish and Sharon Jones? Yeah. It was pretty great in my opinion. It was it was it was pretty good. I mean, I, I thought that it was uh a pretty cool choice that they decided yeah. to do that and got the Dap Kings and and, and yeah. Sharon Jones to to come out and do it. I've listened to it. I mean, I listened to it, and it makes me want to go back to you know, listen to the original. Right. But I thought it was, I thought it was cool that they did it. It would have been fun to be there. Yeah. But the one thing that fish can't do is play dirty. <laughs> yeah. That that's a dirty album. Well, yeah. yeah. And that's the one thing about, uh, you know, a lot of the records that I've picked is, you know, there's some bum notes in there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a little rough. There's some times where they're singing off key, but that, that is, part of the thing with music that I like that, it, that it's real. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they might hit a bum note or they might sing a little off key. It, it sort of brings them down to our level. Yeah. 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 Or so we think, you know, so we think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm still not, uh, I'm still not getting uh, thrills on, on Learjets and stuff like that. Yeah. I guess. I don't think that on my best day as a drummer, I would play as good as Charlie Watts on his worst day, you know, but well, I'd like to, when yeah. it's messy, you'd like to think, Oh, that's, that's so human. It's like, well, no, is, it's still great. It's actually still great. I don't know. Did he ever hit a bad note in the stones? Cause you can, you can go back and hear a lot of, a lot of uh, flaws in some of the music, but he seemed to always be, be rock steady. Although he couldn't play the, uh, the drum fill or the drum break for um um oh geez what's the song um tumbling dice right he always had a uh, he had a mental block on that and that's uh -huh. jimmy miller playing the drums on that <laughs> yeah there are some lovable charlie watts you know flubs like the beginning to uh, start me up and and you know speeding up on um honky tonk women you know yeah. By the time the song's over, they're almost at double time, you know, but that's rock. It's rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. How it should be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, God bless Charlie Watts, man. I, it's yeah. too bad. He's no longer around. Yeah. 
but I guess he they they've got him on a, a couple of the songs on this new album. Coming, oh, great! So. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, Kiefer. It's been it's been a gas. Uh, I have uh, I have listened to some of uh, My High Stash. And I thought, well, when am I going to get a call? It's such an honor to talk with you, and I will have to give the studio a call one day and request Love and Cup. You know, that would be fun. Yeah. Do- do so and uh, yeah. i hope we can do this again because i you know i'll have another i'll have another five for you that we can talk about that'll change i'm sure a year from now we'll do it again well well uh, exile on main street will still be number one i think yeah yeah all right yeah. thanks brother i appreciate it enjoy your day yeah bye-bye now i'll give you another hour then i gotta run i gotta fly away leave you to fall that was Kiefer and me talking music and his um, life history and work history um, as a DJ. And um, he mentioned how he was trying to get on the show for a while and be a guest on Mile High Stash. It was really just a time thing. But um, I wanted to say that I'm always open to emails at milehighstash.com um if you're somebody who is it's actually interesting i don't know exactly who i want on the show it's interesting people who love music you know you could be a musician or you could be a dj or you know i've had broadway producers and stand-up comics but um music is really the genesis of most of the conversations and and friendships that i have and and so it's not necessary that you are in a band or you're a singer songwriter but you know if you don't like music i don't think you'd be (laughs) a very good guest so anyway yeah um it is milehighstash at gmail.com if you ever want to get in touch with guest suggestions or complaints or um life advice i can definitely always use that but um thanks so much for listening and i will see you next monday as usual maybe you'll do better without god and maybe i'll do better without you I wish I were true And I wish I were you Sitting across from me Instead of this impersonation of the moon